Uh, we started last week in, uh, in Exodus, but you remember that we did not do a lot in, in Exodus uh, right off because we needed to deal with, with some, some prequel information. We're going to kind of do the same thing this morning a little bit. Uh, any Star Wars fans here, we need to, to make a Star Wars reference real quick. Uh, if you're too much of a Star Wars fan, uh, this, this might bother you because I'll probably play uh, fast and loose with the facts because I don't care that much. Uh, <laughs> so it's going to be Star Wars-ish. But so when I was a kid, uh, that first Star Wars movie came out. Uh, I think in 77, so something like that. So, but I remember sometime, uh, sometime uh, when I was younger, seeing the first Star Wars movie, you have Princess Leia. Princess Leia needs help. She sends, uh, she sends the, little, the little robot. The little robot finds Luke. The little robot, well, Luke purchased him. But anyways, the little robot finds Luke. Luke plays a video. On the video, it's Princess Leia, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Uh, she tries to get help from Obi-Wan Kenobi. We discover after she connects with Obi-Wan Kenobi that Obi-Wan Kenobi is connected to, to, the, to the Jedi Order. And, and as things progress, we discover that, that, they have, that the, the, the Empire has constructed a Death Star. A Death Star is this, uh, this giant planet that, that's like mechanical and it's a huge weapon uh, and, and it's dangerous and it needs to be destroyed or the Empire is going to wipe us all out, not us. Uh, but them, uh, it's not real. Uh, so the empire's going to wipe uh, wipe everybody out, all out. And so we discover, though, that there are plans on how to defeat the the Death Star. Uh, and so and so that happens. Princess Leia finds Obi Wan Kenobi. You get, go from Obi Wan Kenobi to Luke. We go to the point where where the, uh, the the Jedi and the good guys go in and they fly in and they blow up the Death Star because they know how to do it. The reason though that they know how to do it is because they've gotten the plans on how to attack the Death Star. Now we know all of that that sort of uh, in the first one, but. Recently, like last year, they came out with a movie called Rogue One. And Rogue One is a prequel to that movie, and it tells us exactly how they got those plans. You remember that, uh, that there's, there's the, the, um, uh, uh, the new... I'm afraid to say anything, and this is just, just as an aside note, because like, the sad thing in our culture is I could say stuff from Scripture, and some of y'all won't question anything, but if I get this Star Wars stuff wrong... Anyways... So the girl who's a hero, what's her name, Justin? Hero in Rogue One. There you go. So Jen. Okay. So you remember Jen uh, is, is kind of the, the hero. Jen ha- has grown up. We find out in this one that Jen's dad had been a good guy, but then the bad guys come and he wants to protect his family. So they force Jen's dad, who is a scientist, to help build and, and do all the science and have all the, all, all the plans to build the Death Star. And we find out that that has happened as the movie goes along. It's, it's very exciting. Jen gets to see or, or talk to her dad or see a video of her dad, I, I should say. And, and he tells her that, that he hopes that she's still alive, even though he hasn't seen her. But he is built into the heart of the Death Star. He's built into it kind of a failsafe. He's built into it a weakness. And if she can get the, these plans, they'll know exactly where the weakness is, and that's how they, they will destroy the Death Star. She does all of that. There's all kinds of heroic stuff. Um, everybody dies. And then, sorry, spoiler alert. Hope you've, uh, hope you've seen Rogue One. Um, so then, then 
what happens though at the, at the end of that one though, we see them bringing the information. They beam it out. They beam the information up to to uh, 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 to to the ships. The good guys get it. They they pass it on, and we see at the end of it, uh, uh, Princess Leia kind of escaping, and we see the scene that happened in, in that first Star Wars movie, and it makes sense because even though you understood what happened in the first Star Wars movie, you kind of get explanation to sort of the meaning or how it happened, and it, and it flashes it out and gives it more meaning. That said, uh, now that I've, um, thank you, I thought I, thought I could, I should... I should be traveling and be at Comic-Con with that, that definition of Star Wars. But my point is, is, is this, is that though the, the, the movie that was just, just produced for, functions like a prequel, but it helps us to understand more what had happened. And so we're going to use Genesis again this morning as a prequel to what happens in Exodus to help us flesh out and understand better what is happening in, in Exodus. One of the things I'm enjoying about Exodus, you know, if you know me, that I like to preach the same message as much as possible every week. I don't, I'm not looking to come to you with anything new. I'm not looking to come to you with anything amazing. I'm looking to come to you and preach Jesus because I don't have anything else. I don't have anything that, that, that's better. I don't have anything more insightful, and I don't have anything with the power to change your life. I've got Jesus, and he's enough. And, and so we get to continue, even though we're in the Old Testament, we will each week continue to preach Jesus, but it, you'll remember last week I said to you that I wanted a couple things to happen from, from Exodus. One is I want you to, to grasp the, the narrative and the excitement of Scripture so that when we talk about it, you go, oh my goodness, the Bible is exciting and the Bible is, is amazing. And I want to read that book because if nothing else, if you would start to grasp how amazing the, the, the narrative of Scripture is and you would start to uh, consume it for yourself and you would start to read it, we, would have, we will have accomplished an amazing thing. So that's, that's part of it. But I also said I want you to grasp this idea that, that God does whatever he wants, right? That you might understand the power and the amazingness and the sovereignty of God. He does whatever he wants. But what he wants is always consistent with his promises and his character. And we talked about that, that last week. Is that God is not, is not changing. Not only is God not, not changing, but God is not changeable. God is not impressionable. God is not, uh, God is not working with plan A, plan B, plan C, plan whatever. God only works with his own plan. He does whatever he wants. Whatever he wants is always consistent with his promise and his characters. That was last week. We're, we're going to continue with that thought process this morning so that we can make essentially the same point. One, one last thing about last week. So then we did tie that to how the plan of God in history is building to something that the plan of God from the beginning was, was to build to the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ, and, and the promise that he would be for all people. We said that last week. Let's get into the text and say it again this week. Uh, so in Exodus chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 6, we read this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Jacob, or Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers 
and all that generation eventually died. That's where I left you last week, right? We talked about how God had gone through, through this, this trouble from the beginning to, to preserve the, the line of, of Judah, so that from the line of Judah might come the lion of Judah. And God had preserved that line. But now, we left you last week with, with Joseph, whose story we told uh, last week, with Joseph in, in, in Egypt. And then we ended last week with the fact that they had died. So this morning, we're actually going to go back and talk about another guy in the family. And this guy's name is Abraham. So we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3, which says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the, the beginning of, of what, what we often talk about when we talk in Scripture about renderings of the Abrahamic covenant. God comes and he finds this man named Abram and he begins to speak to them. He calls him. He makes Abraham his, his, uh, his, his, uh, his follower. He tells Abraham, come follow me. He calls him in the call. The Lord says to Abraham, I want you to go out from your land. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave your father's house. I'm going to send you to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. I will make you, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So these are significant promises. Abraham is going to internalize the, these Promises. We're going to flip now to chapter 15 of the same book, uh, the Abrahamic Covenant. Uh, it's labeled here in the, um, in the notes. Verse 1 through 5 here says this. After these events, the word came, of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, Lord, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be, uh, will be your heir. He, will, he, he took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to if you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here's what happens is God decides to interact with the human. That human's name is Abram. He calls Abram and says, Abram, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you blessing. I'm going to pour all of these things out on you. And then he says later on, he says, uh, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your reward will be very great. Abram says, Lord, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? God says to him, no, Abram, I'm going to give you your own offspring. I'm going to give you your own offspring. It's going to be offspring from your own body. And it's going to become a great nation, Abram. I'm, I'm going to do it. And so God says this to him. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he takes him outside and he says, look up. Look in the sky. 
See what's in the sky there? See all the stars? Your offspring is going to be greater than all of those, those stars. You won't even be able to number them. You won't be able to, to count them. That will be your offspring. And Abraham believes him, and it's credited to him as righteousness. Now, what, what has this to do with Exodus is, is this, is that Joseph... Uh, in his family, are direct descendants, close direct descendants of, of Abraham. We know that they're, they're, they're direct descendants uh, from everything that follows, but we're doing prequel work. So you need to understand that what God says to Abraham is going to come true. Joseph proves it, but what happens in between there? And why, why does it matter, and why does it matter for, uh, for Exodus? So God says to Abraham, this is going to be true. So God makes a promise. Now, we like, I like, when someone makes a promise to me, for that promise to come true very, very quickly. I think that is human, human nature. I know that in having kids, that things I say sometimes are interpreted as promises, and they really like the schedule with which I come through on those to be tight. So if one of my children says to me, can we go to the sporting goods store to look at shoes? And I say, yeah, maybe we can do that. Or uh, lately it's been, can we go to the pet store to buy this sort of fish supply? Because we have a fish problem in our house. Um, can we go... <laughs> Can we go to this store and, and, and get this? I say, yeah, maybe we can do that. My children interpret my, yeah, maybe we can do that as, yes, within the next five minutes, we will do that. Go sit in the car. And so a lot of times come to, didn't you say, have you not said, I, know, I like how Abram says to him, how shall this be, God? How are you going to do that? I don't even have any offspring except for, except for the offspring uh, 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 Eliezer. Uh, uh, heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. How, how is it going to be? That's my kids. Can we, can we go? Yes, we can go. Uh, can we go right now? No, we might go in a few minutes. Okay. Dad, how are we not there? How is it possible that you have promised us the, the pet store when we still are in the house? I say, it, it might take time. It might take a minute. And so I find... Uh, I find that, that example exceedingly true in my own home all the time. But not only is it true in our own time, I think, I think the, the outward actions of, of preteens and young teens are, are often reflective of the emotional reactions even of us as adults. If we expect, if we feel something has been promised to us, if we think something has been said to us, then we often have very strong ideas or very strict ideas of how that fulfillment should come and when that fulfillment should come and when those things will happen and when those things uh, will turn around and when it will happen. And so here God makes a promise and, and Abraham says to him, yeah, you're making that promise, but how are you going to do it, God? He wants, he wants a guarantee from God. How are you going to do it? So God does answer him. Uh, God, being a good father, answers Abraham and says, no, it's not going to be through that. You're going to have your own offspring. And yet, even when he says it, you would expect then that the next chapter, the next, uh, uh, the next chapter in, in Genesis would be the story of how, of how Abraham has offspring from his wife. But that's not the next story. The actual next story is the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And it's the story of how Abraham sins against God by not trusting his problem, uh, or not trusting his promise, and instead has a, has a child with his wife's servant trying to, trying, to, trying to fulfill the promises of God apart from God. In fact, the, when God makes the promise, he says to Abraham, listen, Abraham, you're going to have your offspring. He doesn't fulfill that promise for years and years and years 
and years and years. In fact, Abraham is so old that he, he believes that he's beyond the ability, that he and his wife are beyond the age that they could possibly even have a child by the time that God fulfills it. I just want to point out this information to you because it, 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 it's going to make this point that often when we encounter the promises of God or we encounter a promise from God, we have very strong ideas about how those promises should be fulfilled. And yet God, God fulfills them often in very, very different ways. So, Abraham does eventually have, have an offspring. It happens years and years and years and years and years and years later. But God, because he's God, does what he wants. And is consistent with his promises and his character. And he told Abraham they didn't have offspring, and so he does rather miraculously, years and years and years and years later. And from that offspring comes other offspring, and from that offspring comes our Joseph. Our Joseph that we encounter in the first part of, the first part of Exodus. So, we know that Joseph is in Exodus, and we know these plans, have these, these promises have been given to Abraham, but the tendency in the, in the human world, in our tendency then, is to try and help God along with his, with his plans and help God along with his, with his ideas. And so, so we see that. We don't have time to deal with it. But immediately after God gives the promise to Abraham that he will have his own descendant, Abraham schemes and tries to help God along with the plan and ends up having a child with his wife's servant because he thinks he's trying to help God's plans along, and that's often what we do. And so we have these expectations. But the way in which God carries out this plans, this promise, Abraham, your descendants will be more than the stars. Abraham, all, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, it says in chapter 12. Abraham probably had ideas about how that would happen. And yet none of it happens in the way that Abraham thinks it's going to happen. Abraham doesn't expect to, to, to wait decades and decades to have the offspring that God promised him. But that's what happens. But from that offspring comes other offspring. And so you get Abraham, you get Isaac, you get Jacob in descendants. And from Jacob comes Joseph. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. We talked about how last week, uh, last week that Joseph ends up in Egypt. And that's the line. But Abraham probably was waiting. He said, well, God said that, said that, that the plans, your plans were for me to be a, a great nation, a nation that outnumbered the stars. What would happen with those plans? There was expectation. I want to show you then from Genesis chapter 50. So Abraham has that expectation from the plans. Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac gives us Jacob. Jacob gives us Joseph. It's the line, and there's this expectation. They keep waiting. When's this great nation going to happen? When will the great nation go? When will we be that great nation? They expect it, and Abraham dies. You can find his, his, uh, his epitaph in, in Scripture. Isaac dies. You can find that. Joseph, or Jacob, dies. We know Jacob dies, but we don't have it up there. We know Jacob, but uh, he says this. So, I'm sorry. So Jacob, Jacob dies, and after Jacob dies, Joseph has him, has him embalmed. Abraham died. 
Isaac died. Jacob is, is, is dead. This is the line, where's the great nation coming? And so these people expect, where, where's the great nation? Did it happen for, for Abraham? No, he's dead. He's in, in the ground. Did it happen for, for Isaac? No. He's dead. Well, it must have happened. The great nation must have come with Jacob. What happened with Jacob? He's dead. Joseph, in, in, uh, Joseph is going to give instructions that Jacob should be embalmed, right? He's dead. So it must have happened then with Joseph. Joseph must have seen the great nation. Joseph must have been the one. If Abraham didn't see it, and Isaac didn't see it, and, and, and Jacob didn't see it, uh, Jacob, his name from which, the, Jacob is the one for whom the name of the people come. The nation of Israel. Jacob, that's Jacob. His other name is Israel. He must have seen it. No, he's dead. Well, what about his, his descendant, his, his favored son, the one who rescued everybody in Egypt? Doesn't Joseph see it? Verse 22 of Genesis chapter 50. Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt. Joseph lived to 110 years. He saw Ephraim's son to the third generation. The sons of Manasseh's son were recognized by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up out of this land. He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you carry my bones up from here. So he's like, carry my bones out. Get my bones out of here. It's going to come. But did Jacob see it? Is this just a, 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 a literary device? Is it just a moment where, where if we're hanging on the words, it looks like he's about to die, and then there's some amazing turnabout, and Joseph doesn't die, but rather he sees the fulfillment of that which was promised to Moses? Verse 26. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and they placed him in a coffin in Egypt. There's a plan of God. Well, certainly Abraham saw the fulfillment. Dad died. Certainly Isaac then saw the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. He was, he was in a lot of ways the beginning of the promise, the years and the years and decades of waiting. You get Isaac. He's born to Abraham and, and, and his wife. Certainly Isaac sees the fulfillment. No, he's dead. Well, then, then certainly their offspring, Jacob, who is Israel, the name Israel, uh, the, the, the nation coming from, certainly Jacob sees it. No, he's dead in Egypt. Well, then certainly Joseph saw it, and there's going to be some turnaround. Where's Joseph? Everybody, doesn't Joseph see it? Go get Joseph. We can't get Joseph. Where is he? They embalmed him, and they placed him in a coffin in Egypt. That's, that's the prequel information so that you understand that the promises of God, the promise given to Abraham, you will be a great nation. Not only will you be a great nation, but your offspring will be as many as the stars. Not only that, but all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. This promise given to Abraham, they, is, is God going to keep this promise? How do we know? What will God do? Can we trust God? This is written, so we might ask the very valid question, can we trust God to do what God said God was going to do. Abraham, it was counted to him as faith. He believed God said was going to do what he said he would do, but he died having not seen it. Isaac believed God, but he died having not seen it. Jacob believed God, he dies not having not seen it. Joseph, who is instrumental to the carrying out of the line, dies having not seen it. And so, so we come to Exodus chapter 1 again. 
Here they are, the children of Israel. The names of the sons of Israel, Jacob's sons, who came to Egypt, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Now, 70 is not a big number. I'm trying to think of a context in which 70 would be a large number. But I do know this, that if you go out and you look up at the stars outside the city, you get out someplace on a clear night, you get out into the... Um, into some place where there's no street lights, and you look up and you count the stars, what I know is this, is that you can you cannot count how many there are, but you could definitely count 70. But the promise of God is that his descendants will be greater than 70. We know, even before this, that Joseph comes out of this thing in a coffin. So what then? Verse 6, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually die. So from the 70, Joseph and all his brothers eventually die. But what happens? Verse 7, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied. Increasing, were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. It's fun to read here. They were fruitful. That means that they multiplied. They increased rapidly. Means that they multiplied. And became extremely numerous. Means that they multiplied. Uh, the writer of Exodus, who we believe to be Moses, Moses wants us to understand that they, they multiplied. They multiplied. Why? Because Mo Moses understands that that multiplication is a fulfillment of the promise of God. Now here, here's what I want you to notice. There's an expectation that when God fulfills a promise, he fulfills it in the way in which we want it fulfilled, right? The way in which we would see it being fulfilled. If you want to be made into a great nation in your Abraham, you want to see it. Abraham doesn't live to see it. Isaac doesn't live to see it. Joseph doesn't, or Jacob doesn't live to see it. Joseph doesn't even really live to see it. He's, he's closest, but he doesn't live to see it. But God does it, and he makes them into a great nation. But here's the interesting thing that he does. He makes them into a great nation in the midst of their slavery. And he makes them into a great nation in the midst of their captivity. Most of us want the fulfillment of the, uh, God's fulfillment of the promises that he gives us to happen not in our captivity, but in our place of freedom, we want God, God's promises to start to come true in a way that makes more sense to, to us uh, uh, in our day-to-day -day emotional, the way we thought through and planned for it to be. But here is God fulfilling the promises that he has given to them. He is going to make them a great nation, and he does it. Where does he do it? He does it in the midst of their captivity, in the midst of their slavery. Because as I pointed out before, God does what God wants. And it's consistent with his promises and with his character. And in this case, God's choice is to make them, we're going to get, we're going to read, we're going to, uh, over the next many weeks, start to learn about this great nation that he's made them into. As we look at them, we'll see right in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their captivity, God fulfills his, his promise. This is an important point for us. We would all prefer, 
that the fulfillment of God's promise fall in line with the way in which we dream. We would prefer that the fulfillment of God's promise would fall into the line in the way in which we plan. We prefer that God's promise result in the kind of unfettered joy of, of, of a jubilee situation. We are often not prepared for the reality that sometimes God chooses to fulfill his promise in the midst of captivity. We are not ready for the fact that sometimes God chooses to fulfill his, fulfill his promise in the midst of struggle. In the case of Israel, he chooses to fulfill his promise in the midst of slavery and struggle. What I think, here's, sometimes, sometimes I know that when I, when I talk about, about the good news, you might objectively go, well, that sounds like bad news. You got something else? Can you turn the page on that? Do you have something? Here, here's the thing. I don't have a gospel for you that takes you out of this current reality. I don't have a gospel for you that is going to keep whatever happens to you tomorrow from happening. I don't know what's going to happen with your wife or with your husband, with your children. I don't know that if a car is going to careen off the road or into your lane and kill you tomorrow. I don't know that. I wish I could know that, but I don't know that. And I don't have a gospel that accounts for it. I know that if you turn on TV, you can turn on TV and you can find people who have gospels that will essentially tell you this. If you believe enough, then God's blessings will descend upon you and you will have happiness, joy, and health. And you'll never have struggle and you'll never have sickness. The problem is I can't find any of the people who received that gospel in Scripture. I can't find that gospel in the life of Jesus. I can't find that gospel in the teaching of Jesus. And I can't find that gospel in reality because the fact is this. Every teacher who has ever taught that if you follow God, his promises will make you healthy, wealthy, and rich. The problem is, is that all of them have eventually died. And none of them got to take a penny with them. So when you die, you die with nothing. All of them ended up like Abraham, dead. Like Isaac, dead. Like Jacob, dead dead and like Joseph in a coffin in Egypt. Everybody ended up there. And I do not have a gospel for you that tells you if you would just believe hard enough, then your wife wouldn't be sick. If you believe hard enough, then your children wouldn't struggle. If you believe hard enough, then you wouldn't have got fired. I don't have that gospel for you because it's not in this book. But what I'm telling you is this, is that the gospel that is in this book is better it's more powerful, it's more amazing, it's more glorious, it is good, it is good news. The reality is I don't have a gospel like that, but the fact is those gospels don't work because one day you'll find yourself either sick in a hospital or at the bedside of someone you love, and the reality will hit you. You'll have to ask yourself, what sin did I commit? What is Jesus holding against me? What is Jesus holding against me that I would be here? And then you have to look in, at yourself and try and track down what sin Jesus holds against you, but that is not the gospel we believe in. The gospel we believe in says Jesus, in, because of his blood, because of who he is, holds no sin against you. And the gospel that we have here says this, you are going to struggle. You're going to walk through captivity. You might end up in Egypt for 400 years, figuratively speaking. The 
question is, can God in the midst of your struggles fulfill his promises? And I think the good news is this. It's yes. God is a fulfiller of promises. In the midst of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, a land not their own, God makes Israel into a great nation. So then I would just point out one final thing. This is our favorite verse. Uh, those of you who know this, a multi, multi-congregation church, so our uh, congregation, Godfrey Lee, is preaching the same thing uh, this morning. So this week, Dave, uh, we office next to each other, and we were working through this passage. The verse that we both kept coming back to was this. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. And, and that is a weird verse to come back to, I'll admit. He's a coffin in Egypt. But that's the one we came back to. And then I, I started to think about it. So what, what does that mean? Remember, remember this, this, this fulfillment, making them into a great nation in, 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 in Egypt, in, in the midst of slavery, is not the end of it all. Exodus is written for a reason. It progresses to some place. Abraham is, 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 a great, is made into a great nation, as many descendants as are for a reason. And the reason is this, is from them comes the line of the one to come, the line of the Messiah, descended from them. Jesus is going to come, and Jesus is going to come, and he's going to rescue people like you and like I uh, from, from, from our sin, from, the, from death, from hell, from all of those things. Jesus is going to rescue us by going to the cross, and he too is going to be put into a grave. He too, he's not put into a coffin, but he's put into a tomb where he'll be for three days. And, and we know this, that, 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 that Jesus, three days later, is going to rise from the dead. He's going to call people to himself so that it says later in Scripture that Abraham becomes the father of all who would believe. So that when we read about the line of Abraham in Genesis, we, and we read about, about, uh, uh, about Joseph in the coffin in Egypt, when we read about these 70 descendants, it's not, it, it is not just abstract, but we are reading about our spiritual lineage, the line through which all of us who call Jesus Lord have come because if Abraham Abraham is disobedient. If God does not fulfill his promises, if Abraham doesn't believe, God doesn't fulfill his promises uh, to, to Abraham. If God does not preserve the line of, 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 of Joseph, if God does not bring them into Egypt, if God does not make them a great nation, we don't ever get the cross. And if we don't get the cross, we never get forgiveness from sins. And if we don't get forgiveness from sins, you and I are still dead in our sin, but we are not family. But... Exodus and Genesis, you know, the, 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 the chronologically oldest writings in, in Scripture are telling our story too. And so here's, here's what's amazing about this to me, what I said to David at the end. I said, you know what I'm noticing is that God's promises are so powerful, they're so strong, that they, 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 they are greater even than death, right? Abraham, dead. Isaac, dead. Jacob, dead. Joseph, in a coffin in Egypt. Six verses later, they all die off, the whole generation. Skip forward to, to Jesus. Jesus, to a cross, to a tomb, dead. And yet, the promises that God gives are so powerful, so unchangeable, so immutable, so, so, so so sure that there's no there's no burial in Egypt 
There's no coffin tight enough. There's no tomb with a stone big enough. And in our own culture, there's no mausoleum or cremation that lasts long enough to keep the promises of the living God from coming true. He does what he wants. He keeps his promises. So I don't have for you the kind of good news that says, if you just give enough this morning, then God's going to bless you sevenfold. If you just believe hard enough, then God's going to wipe out all your pain. If you have enough faith, then you'll never get sick. I don't have that. But I think that's a false gospel, a lie, and I don't want that. What I do want is this. I want a relationship and a friendship and a family membership with the great God of Scripture who keeps every promise. For whom the grave of Abraham, the grave of Isaac, the grave of Jacob, and the coffin of Joseph could not keep him from carrying out his plans. He makes them in a great nation. The slavery couldn't hold them back. The oppression couldn't hold them back. The, the, the people of God multiplied and were fruitful so that they became like the stars in the sky. So that one day, as we accelerate into, in history, there would come from them a line. And that line would result in a baby born in Bethlehem who would become the hope of the world. And even he, his own death, death didn't have the power to overcome the promise of God. That's good news to me. And I'm hoping that you will absorb that as good news and that you will lean into the greatness of a God like that. I don't know where, what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what your hurts are. But I do know this, is that, that as I read scripture, what I realize is that even, we, we didn't go deep into it this morning, but there's a reason for all the slavery. There's a reason for the struggle. And each of that, all of that is producing and making something great. And I want you to know this, you might be waiting for God to fulfill the promise, but not a thing that happens to you in any intervening moment is meaningless. But it is the goodness of God preparing to fulfill every promise he has ever given in this book for you, his adopted sons and daughters. That's good news. Pray with me.